Welcome into the Raheel Show podcast, everyone. Excited to have Russell Ibarra in here. Should I, do I call you Mr. Ibarra or do you want to just go Russell? Russell's great. Russell's great. And am I saying your last name correctly? I e- feel like I'm not pronounced. There's not enough emphasis on the Ibarra. Ibarra. Yeah. 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 A lot of people say Ibarra, Ybarra, but it's Ibarra. Uh, so we'll talk to Russell here in a second. I just want to get our sponsors in. The Raheel Show podcast is brought to you by Sneaker Summit. Guys, you've heard of Sneaker Summit. They do the big events in Houston. They've been doing it for 15 years. And now the Sneaker Summit crew, they finally opened their own storefront. Talk about the American dream. They started with just meetups. They built it up. Russell, this is so crazy. They're like, started at a coffee shop. A bunch of guys is meeting up and they're exchanging sneakers, bartering, trading, buying everything. Then the next year got bigger. It got bigger, bigger, bigger. And now these guys have their own storefront. 59 in South Shepherd in Upper Kirby area. Just a great story. And now they're a proud sponsor of the Raheel Show podcast. Guys, any sneakers you're looking for them, they're going to have them. And if they don't have them, they'll help you find them. They have everything. They got the Yeezys, Ultra Boost, NMDs, uh, Air Jordans, Nike SB, Supreme, Bape Apparel, everything. Sneaker Summit has you covered. Go to sneakersummit.com. They're open Monday to Sunday, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Or you can, uh, again, go to sneakersummit.com. Follow them on all the social media channels at Sneaker Summit across all platforms, uh, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, uh, everything. They got you covered. They put up exclusive deals on social media sites, so make sure you follow them. They have some Jordans up there, some uh, some ones for 75 bucks. Yeah, last week, and you missed out. So uh, make sure you follow them, sneakersummit.com. They are awesome. Brian and uh, Active Adrian, they're good people. Go support a local business, and you don't have to spend a boatload of money. You can get in there, and uh, you can get stuff for as low as 50 bucks, guys. Sneakersummit.com. Perfume Time Houston. If you are paying retail for perfumes, cologne, stop. Go to my dad's store on Harwin, 8000 Harwin, Perfume Time Houston. Uh, one of my friends saved almost 100 bucks because she was paying retail at, at a big box store. Went in there to my dad's store. He's like, yeah, I got you. This is like, I'll save you almost 100 bucks. A bunch of our coworkers went there yesterday. He's been in Harwin for almost 30 years, guys. So you know he's a trusted product. He's a trusted guy there. And he can also point you in the right direction if you have other needs. He's the man. Uh, and you get the real discount because I don't pay full price. Your dad, my dad won't let me pay full price, so why should you? Get in there and ask for the Raheel Show discount. He is going to hook you up, guys. Perfume Time Houston, 8000 Harwin, or give them a call, 713-782-0030. Perfume Time Houston. H-Town Dental, five locations across the city. Dr. Ramsnali, uh, my brother, is doing great things. H-TownDental.com. If you know somebody that needs dental work done, they can't afford it. He's going to put them on the right payment plan. He's all about helping people out, guys. Um, No matter who you are, he will take care of you. He's helped a lot of my friends out who don't have dental insurance. He will put you on a plan that is beneficial to you. He's not going to try to make money off of you. He's all about you guys. And if you go in there and mention the Raheel Show, you get a free teeth cleaning and x-rays on the house because he loves you guys so much. HTownDental.com. Get in there, guys. Book your appointments. Five locations around the city of Houston. Find all the locations at HTownDental.com. All right, Russell, let's do this thing. Let's motivate a few people. Let's get people inspired. Let's get these let's uh, do kids it. Let's do who it. are listening to uh, do the damn thing. The CEO, president of Gringos and Jimmy Changas, and everyone's been to Gringos. My dad loves you, by the way. I told him, I was like, hey, I'm going to have Russell on. He's like, who's that? I said, you know, Gringos? That's the man behind Gringos. He loves Gringos. We love That's it awesome. as a family. Uh, it really is. There is a family feel when you go in there. It feels 
you still have that old family feeling. A lot of places, when you start opening up multiple locations, you lose that. But, uh, man, you guys have done a good job of encompassing family in Gringo's. Let's talk about how you got got started, how this all gets started, man. Well, actually, I grew up in the restaurant industry. Um, my, my dad had started some restaurants back in the 60s, but that doesn't mean it was automatic success growing up. I Out of high school, I went straight into straight to work for my dad. But during the 80s, we, we, uh, we had some tough times. And, um, I mean, even when I was 25, I, I lost my house to foreclosure at 26. I returned a vehicle because I could no longer afford the payment and I struggled. I, I failed at four different businesses, but, uh, everything turned around, uh, because of my failures in in my twenties when, uh, I was 31 and I opened up Gringo's there in Pearland. And then from there, it just kept growing and growing or. Yeah. The only reason I went back in that location was because it had already been four failed restaurants and our family owned the building and we had a payment to make on it of $4,852.10 a month. It was so difficult to make that that number is seared in my brain for eternity. But we, uh, we opened up on January the 11th, uh, of 93, we generated 580 bucks in business. Not a whole lot. We did about the same the second day. And on the third day, I can remember my oldest brother calling me and asking me what we had done. And I told him. And he said, that's it. And his words were, close the damn place. We did more the first time we were there, meaning yeah. uh, one of our family restaurants. And um, so we um, – um, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, you get I, okay. I was just adjusting my mic. Okay. Yeah, we um, – uh, so anyway, but my focus was making sure that whatever came in through our door, that they were happy and pleased, and hopefully they would come back. And our, our philosophy going in was to provide the absolute highest quality product that we knew how to make at that time and uh, sell it at the, at the best value that we possibly could. Yeah, at, at that point, you were married, right? Uh, when oh, you yeah. first started Green Coast, oh, yeah. you got married at 18. You, yes. had a, you had your first kid at that point? Or you had no, I had, at that point? I, had, uh, I had my first child at 21. Okay. Yeah. So you had that pressure. You have the pressure of supporting somebody else also. And uh, no, no college degree to fall back on. Yeah. What is that fear? Is it because of that fear? Is there that pressure? Why there's, this there, was successful? What do there, you think? Well, there's a lot of things. Uh, one of the things I always, I've always done is paid attention to, to people who succeed and as well as people who fail. And I, I like to see what was it that caused yeah. it. And, uh, you know, there, there are some things that you can, you can learn from, from everyone. And I just uh, didn't want to necessarily reinvent the wheel, but try to learn from some of the best. And, mm-hmm. and for example, one of my favorite uh, companies in the 80s was the Pappas Organization. They, they do such a fantastic job. They did a fantastic job then, and they do today. And so I, um, I always told myself if I had any hope of being like a Pappas restaurant, let's say, I had one or two choices, either go work for them or hire someone that worked for them, and I chose the latter. In, in 96, when I opened up my second Gringos, I went hunting for a general manager, and it turned out that uh, the one I, I, re- I recruited was Joel Perkins. Mm to be my second general manager. And what's interesting at the time, he wasn't, he was no longer working for Pappas. He was actually working for the Kima Cantina down in, and um, at the waterfront, which is now the aquarium restaurant. And, and Joel uh, learned that I was looking for a general manager. So I interviewed him and I interviewed him five times. And um, the only reason I didn't hire him after the very first interview, because he had everything I wanted, I just could not afford to bring him on too soon. So I kept putting them off, putting them off. But during one of the interviews, Joel had mentioned to me that uh, if I hired him uh, to be the general manager of the second store, that he would uh, he would run that restaurant as if he owned it himself. Wow. Well, today, Joel owns four of the ten gringos. Uh, he owns the one on Fuquay, the one up in uh, Champions and, and Cyprus and Spring. So Joel, Joel and I have been uh, partners uh, for 20-plus uh, years now. 
Yeah. And uh, an incredible story because Joel um, went through some major depression. He was actually uh, demoted from Papacitos and left, uh, has salary cut by, by two thirds and, and, and left. And, and, you know, so he was, uh, we, we met at the perfect time in our lives. Uh, he needed something uh, that I had not, he, uh, and he had something I needed. So and here we are today, but, um, you know, all along the way, we've always tried to improve. Anytime we make uh, changes at Gringo's or Jimmy Chunga's, we, we try to make an upgrade. Uh, we try to improve, find ways to improve, but we, we try to control calls through, through portion control, through, uh, through making sure that uh, we minimize waste. You know, growing up as a kid, my, my mother was very, very frugal. She grew up during the Great Depression, and I can remember her uh, making one of my younger brothers squeeze ketchup packets from Jack in the Box into a ketchup bottle, and uh, that was his job, basically, to, to do that. But my mother didn't throw anything away. And even today when I walk through her kitchen, I'm, I'm looking at how they're trimming produce or trimming meat. Mm-hmm. And so we just really try to control waste. And, and again, if we serve a, 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 an appropriate amount of food, a good portion of food, and, and offer it at a fair price, you know, those are the things that, that set you apart by managing those those areas that can uh, make you more profitable, let's say, than your competition. You know, it's so tough with a business where you do have to manage costs. You ha- that's always an issue because the bottom line is so important. And for everyone that's listening, we do have a lot of students that are listening that hopefully want to start their business one day or work for a company. And when you understand that from a business standpoint, that if you can help with the bottom line, even if you are an entry-level position, you are not only going to move up in that company, you'll gain the trust of people. But when, from, a, from a guy that that is your goal, I mean, as a business owner, you want to manage costs, you want to manage the bottom line and all that good stuff. But at the same time, you are a guy that values the family, the loyalty standpoint of it. How tough is that, like making, you know, merging both of those issues and mer- merging both of those philosophies in running a successful business? It's an ongoing balancing act. Um, you know, one of back in 2000, I established our five core values for the company, and the uh, the uh, the the third one is our cornerstone. It's uh, reinvesting in our team members and our yep. local community, and we do so much of that in a huge way that it's uh, it's very um, it's very uncommon to see what we have done for our, our team members in their time of need. And we try to build that trust through them and, and, and loyalty. And I think we've done a great job at it. And, I mean, just recently we paid for another funeral, for example, of, of a team member who was killed in an accident leaving uh, work. And it was, uh, it was just – it happened just about a month ago. So, you know, there's sad situations that come up. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's very difficult for a company to continue succeeding and, and having, uh, you know, uh, great results. And yet uh, when, when I – when a team member, when one of your employees has a tragedy in their life, it's very difficult to continue on as if everything is normal because it's not normal. Yeah. And so we, we try to help where we can, and, and we've had a good time doing it. We, we just we do lots of things like that. You know, it's so good to see businesses doing that. A lot of new businesses, a lot of new startups, um, you know, and a lot of – there's a lot of guys my age that are now getting to the point where they're running businesses, whether it be a small business or they hit it big with a startup or anything like that. But they value that that reinvesting into your employees because you do want to reinvest in your products. You do you do want to figure out that next move and all that good stuff. But when you can make that worker feel part of that family, because you are spending that you're spending eight to ten hours a day with somebody, you do become part of that family. Right. And those kind of workers will want will do anything for you. And it's not like a selfish motive when they're reinvesting in it, but 
when they're happy, you're happy, and everyone's making money also, I think. That's a huge thing. Well, you know, there's absolutely no way I can touch every table that walks through our restaurants. Mm -hmm. We have 14 locations, and we serve, you know, 1,000-plus meals a day at every location. And the only way I can try to at least attempt to touch each table is touching it through my management team, which hopefully trickles down to our our staff, our servers, our waiters, our bussers. And um, and that's the only way I can – try to reach them. And, and, and I think we, uh, we do a fair job at it. How important has social media been for you to uh, touch all, not only your employees, but you know, people that come into Gringo's or Jimmy Chonga's cause you do a really good job of putting daily quotes out, you know, advice. Are uh, you also interacting with Michael Berry who, well, I, I mean, I just think the world of him, what he's built in, in the radio world. Um, and you're always, you know, interacting with him, some other guys. Uh, how important is that where guys are following you and, because every day, I'm sure your schedule is so it's so packed. Has that helped you touch other people and especially your employees? Well, you know, social media is nothing more than a tool, like uh, all your tools in business. And yeah. uh, you know, we didn't have it when we first opened years ago. It's it's definitely changed the uh, the landscape of, of of the service industry. People feel more empowered because they have something at their in their hands that they can literally. I don't want to say take you down, but they can obviously put out a very negative comment about your company. So one of the approaches we try to uh, to do is just make sure that we stay positive uh, in in the marketplace as much as we can, and we try to address any situation, any negative feedback. Sure. We try to attack it immediately, so that way it doesn't uh, hang out there and and hope you know and grow from there. So yeah. you know the last thing you want uh, wanted to do is go viral, and so we uh, we we just try to stay positive and and. It's so weird. Um, I worked in the. I, I worked uh, at Landry's for a while doing social media. So I saw the worst of the worst in terms of you know people could be having a bad day. It could be somebody on your side of the table, and you're like they had a bad day, and you know unfortunately a customer got the receiving end of it, or a customer could be having a horrible day. You could have done everything right, but they're going to find some flaws in it. But you know back in the day it was. If you had a bad experience at a restaurant, you would call the restaurant up and be like, "Hey, I had a bad experience." A lot of people I found that wouldn't even do like they don't even do that they don't have the courage to just tell the manager on duty like hey look my cold my meal came out cold can you help me out a lot of them will just wait and then go hide behind the keyboard and all that stuff but it it is it is a good tool because you can find that flaw you can reach out to them in like 90 percent of the time all they wanted was a response and they just wanted to be heard more than anything yeah just about every single issue that comes up uh during a dining experience if it's a negative one can be resolved through a manager if they just call the manager over yeah. to the table yeah definitely but, but there's uh, that fear of like human like you know that confrontation almost you would feel i i've done it too where it's where i've t- you know like man my food came out cold and this sucks and then the more i thought about it, it's like man, i should just told the manager at that point but as humans a lot of us are wired where we don't want that confrontation where it, it won't be confrontational because i think the managers at most restaurants are they're there to help you out Right. They, right. they, they want to make your, well, you know, a guest complaint is really just an opportunity to resell them. And usually if you, if you take care of them at that point, you've won them for life. Yes. Uh, cause they just want to know how you respond to those situations. Cause obviously everybody responds to positive ones. Well, but the negative ones, uh, and, and that's just it. You can't take it personal when, when there's a complaint. Yeah. And a lot of times, unfortunately, business, business people do, but if you can just get past that initial feeling and, and get to the root of what the problem is or was, resolving, get it behind you and move on. But, um, you know, there's absolutely nothing that cannot be resolved really at the store level. So, but we do get emails, uh, from time to time and we'll get posts on Facebook and, and we just try to respond to them. We have a full-time marketing director and community uh, relations coordinator that, 
handles a lot of that, mm-hmm. and uh, we jump on it immediately. Isn't that amazing? That's a position that wasn't even there five years ago, seven years ago, and now that's a it's a full time position for a lot of people. Yeah, full time, you yes. know. And so, like people listening right now, when I was in college, Facebook first started, and it was just a tool to stay in touch with your classmates. Let's be honest, pick up girls. You're like, you know, trying to figure out what class she's in and all that stuff. I never thought I'd be, ha- I'd have a career at someday doing Facebook, Twitter management. So your job that you, it's not even created yet. A lot for a lot of people listening. If you're in college, what you're in school for, you might not be doing that seven years down the road. Like it's just one of those things. Like you just have to be flexible and figure out what's next. Yeah, if you care about people and have an outgoing personality. Uh, social media management is, is really a, a great position mm-hmm. because it gives you opportunity to still interact with people, yeah. maybe not face-to-face in a lot of ways, but um, but in, in a way that's very, very important. Russ, what was your biggest failure? Um, I call them temporary setbacks today, but I guess, you know, you know, Napoleon Hill wrote a book in 1928, I believe. It was called The Law of Success and 16 Lessons. And uh, one of his quotes that that um, that I keep close to me is, is – within every failure is a seed of an equivalent success. And, you know, there's a lesson to be learned in everything that happens bad, you know. So uh, back in 2006, we opened up a new concept called Gringo Seafood Kitchen, only it was spelled differently. It was spelled French. Uh, Instead of G-O-S, it was G-A-U-X at the end. So it was Gringo Seafood Kitchen. We opened it next door to our gringos in Stafford, and uh, we put the great, you know, great team together, great uh, architect. Uh, We brought in an, uh, an incredible chef and general manager, and we really thought we had a home run with this concept. Mm -hmm. But we closed it one year and three months later, and I refer to it today as my $3.8 million seafood platter. Mm -hmm. And um, had it ended there, um, you know, I wouldn't have learned a whole lot from it. But when we opened up Jimmy Changa's a few years later and we were developing our recipes, I had this this failure, if you will, this setback in the back of my head. And and the last thing you want, no matter – how successful you are is you, you don't want to failure. But anyway, so it happened and we're developing the recipes for Jimmy Chonga's. And I came across this one recipe that, uh, and one of the things we were trying to do at Jimmy Chonga's and Gringo's was, it was basically because uh, people ask me today, what's the difference? And I said, well, they're basically the same, but different. And what I mean by that is, for example, our queso at Gringo's is yellow. Our queso at Jimmy's is white. Mm-hmm. Our, uh, our rice, both rices have a different color at each location. Uh, the chips are different. The sauce is different. So we tried to do just a few things along the way that um, throughout the menu that were different from one another. But when we're developing this one specific recipe, um, I put the brakes on it because I knew how we prepared it at Gringo's, and I didn't particularly care for it, and I would never eat a lot of it myself because of it. So I said, no, uh, we're not going to do it that way here at Jimmy's. We're going to go ahead and change it and use basically a more premium ingredients or ingredients uh, for this recipe. And um, so the beauty of that failure of the seafood kitchen basically forced me to have a, a paradigm shift. And, and basically today, every ingredient we look at, we start off with, uh, if I won't eat it, I won't sell it. Mm-hmm. And so we have made some major changes along the way. And uh, we, we made a change, change in our queso, or not our queso, but the cheese we use for our, our chili queso and our, our quesadillas. And, and they're all premium upgrades. Um, and we, we pay more for it. And that's fine because at the end of the day, it's a better product. Yeah. And your competition, in order to stay up with you, they have to do the same thing. Otherwise, they're, they're behind. 
And that's the beauty of competition. And I actually love competition because at the end of the day, competition makes you better as an operator, as a business person. Uh, you're not complacent, and it's easy to complacent when you're when you're when you're successful. Yeah. And so, um, you know, competition keeps us on our balls and uh, on our on our on our on our feet. And and um, so, yeah, we. It, it, with that, you, you had a great. You just said something really interesting. When you're successful, you do tend to get complacent. There is that fear of, okay, now I've made it. Man, this is working. Wow, look at the money rolling in. Look at the profits rolling in. A lot of a lot of people at that point, once you make when you have something successful and everything's going right, you're not forced to adapt. You're not forced to step out of that comfort zone. How hard is that as a business owner, especially for you with the second location Gringos opens up and then the third, the fourth, and you're like, This is a this is a hit. This is continuously continuing to get better and better. How hard is it to just get complacent and say, Wow, look at these ten locations, we're good. You know, we don't need to do anything else. How tough is that? Well, we're always trying to look for new new items, new menu items, new drinks, and one of the things I always want to be careful of is not to lose not not to lose our way, not not to forget what got us to where we're at today, and it's always going to be back to you know the basics. And we try to pay attention to our our product mix report uh, to see what's selling, and try to focus there and make sure we never get too far away from those items, and then you know introduce new items. To, uh, to keep things fresh and new and, and exciting for our guests to come in and, and look forward to seeing something just a little bit different. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, make the main thing the main thing and, and take care of business. How important is trust in a business, especially on your level? Because you can't be at every location, like you mentioned, every single day. You can't interact with every single table every single day. How important is trust? Well, trust is, uh, is everything in business. It really is. I mean, integrity uh, you can't go anywhere without it. Uh, yeah. You can't grow. You can't develop. You can't do anything. So, um, I have a great team around me, and um, you know, I, when I give them my word, I, I mean, they have it. It's as good as gold. I mean, I will honor it no matter what. I even tell people, look, if I ever forget to do something, r- remind me. I'll, I will do. It. I will follow up with what I promise to do. But uh, yeah, trust is very important. Um, that that's if there is no trust in a business, it's just a matter of time before it it ceases to exist. Yeah, it's so tough. Like when you think about it on a on a business level, on a personal level, trust is like every day we trust. Like I mean, let's just start with a daily routine, right? Like you you get in your car, you're driving, you're trusting the stranger next to you not to just slam in your car or do something that could uh, jeopardize your well being. Then you get to work. You trust your coworkers that they're not going to do something that does the same thing. It, it, trust is such a it, – it's one of those weird things where you, when you start thinking about it, it kind of freaks you out. But then on the business level, for you, a guy that's built, built everything from the ground up, then you have to start trusting people, GMs, and then the GMs have to trust their, their guys, their managers. Managers have to trust uh, you know, uh, people underneath them. That trusting in business, man, it like – it kind of freaks me out sometimes when you start thinking about it and how one broken chain can really ruin things or set you back. Well, speaking of trust, I mean, just just look at uh, internal shrinkage, for example, uh, theft within the within yeah. an organization. Um, fortunately, today, believe it or not, very few of our transactions are in cash. It's mostly debit and credit cards, so we don't see a lot of cash through our, our facilities any longer. It used to be as much as uh, 70% of our business. And now it's, cash is probably down to 5 or less percent of our business. It's, it's amazing yeah. because of debit that cards. That makes sense, yeah. But, um, you know, trust, um, 
the, the beauty of trust and in, internal shrinkage is every company has to deal with the same thing. Sure. So what are you, what are you doing differently that can, that can set you apart that people feel, you know what, there's, I just don't want to do anything wrong to this company because of how they treat people and the guilt falls on them. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's all you can do at the end of the day. I just try to basically treat people the way I want to be treated and just be kind and polite to every person that I, try, I you know, there I tell people that, um, you know, you may meet someone one time during your entire life, but that, that moment that you met them, especially today, um, uh, with people, you know, more engaged in, on social media, you know, you're going to make an impression that will last a lifetime. So make it the best one that you possibly can. Um, we got Russell Varr hanging out with us, and uh, we're talking a little business. And anytime, if you, by the way, it's not just me grilling you. If you have any questions or thoughts, you want to lead the conversation, you can do that. We're hanging out, just having some fun. And uh, Russ is a guy, you know, we came across each other on Twitter, and Chance was telling me about you, and I was like, man, this sounds like the perfect dude to talk about life with business and all that. And Russ, uh, I mean, everyone's listening right now on podcast. Um, I mean, you built it up. You have a success with Gringos. Uh, the Gringos concept is doing great. Then you had the failure with the the well setback with the Gringos seafood, and then Jimmy Changa, uh, Jimmy Changas opens up, and that one. W- when you start looking at the new product and you start looking at the new restaurant, the new concept, why not just stick with Gringos? Why not open up another one? Well, uh, the volume that some of our Gringos do are, are incredible, so it's just a matter of time before a competitor, let's say, wants to open up near nearby. So. Mm-hmm. What Jimmy's has done is basically allows us to to um, to locate uh, a Gringos and Jimmy's relatively close. Yeah. Uh, the first one that opened up in in um, in Pasadena is two miles away from a Gringos, the first Jimmy's, and then the the most recent one that we opened in Pearland is less than a mile from wow. from our second highest volume store. So there's um, there's uh, opportunity there, obviously, mm-hmm. and uh, we're excited about being able to do that and. And where you might only have 10 locations in a market like Houston, you could have literally 20, but of two different brands, let's say. That's a good, I didn't even think about it from that standpoint, from <clears throat> limiting competition. Because if somebody's going to eat your eat that market share, it might as well be you. Exactly. That's a, exactly. That's a great business. Well, and, and, and to give you an example, when we opened up um, uh, Jimmy's in 2011, yeah. uh, two miles from the Gringos and Laporte, the Gringos and Laporte dropped about 15 to 20% initially. But I'll give up 20% to gain 100% yeah. because of the volume we were doing at Jimmy's. But now they're back both their normal volume. Really? So uh, that's the beauty of, of, of that type of approach. You know, you mentioned you don't have a college degree. No. Nope. You have a degree in life. Uh, and when you, when you have setbacks, when you I have do success, have. That's, that's the ultimate degree. I really, And I've said this before on the podcast is you can have a degree from where, whatever university you're at. That's great. That's a great way to get in the door. But, you know, as somebody that hires people, that has hired people or is looking at experience, actual experience is way more important than anything you learn in college. Businesses want results. Yeah. That's all they want. They want results. They don't care who's behind the yeah. results. They just want the results. So, yeah. Um, I mean, today I have, a, um, I have several people with degrees. My son, for one, he joined me two years ago, and he's uh, not only a Yale architect, uh, but he's also a Wharton MBA, mm-hmm. so uh, it's nice to have him on board. And then uh, I have a full-time general counsel that we hired four years ago. And, and if you had asked me when I first opened up in 93, Russell, you're going to have an attorney working for you one day, I would have never believed you, but here we are. So, What was that moment for you uh, with the business where you're like, whoa, this is incredible? Like, th- What was that incredible moment for you? 
I've had a lot of incredible moments. Uh, one recently um, was back in, I think it was December of 14. Uh, it was the year that, um, what year did uh, the Golden Nugget open in Lake Charles? Was Golden it? Nugget open. Is it either 14 or 15? It was 14, right at, yeah, it's 14, like at, at the end of 14. Yeah, it was December, yeah. De- I think it was December 9th. Yeah, well, anyway, right. Michael Berry had uh, texted me and said, hey, uh, Tillman's sending his uh, copter, do you want to go? And so I, I knew exactly what he was talking about. So after Michael did a show, he went over and hopped on Tillman Fertitta's helicopter and flew over to the Golden Nugget one hour away and landed. And Tillman picked us up in a uh, Suburban and, and just drove us like not even a half a block to the front door of the, of the casino and greeted us there and, you know, gave us a tour of the casino. We hung out with them, had drinks and appetizers at the, uh, at the Vic and Anthony Steakhouse. And then we went and hung out on his yacht for uh, his 165 footer or 66. And I heard I heard he's uh, he ordered a new one, 50 feet longer. But anyway, um, <laughs> we hung out there till midnight. Then he flew us back on the copter. We were back in Houston by 1 a.m. And I was in I was at home 15, 20 minutes later. And I, I you know, the way up there and the way back, I'm telling myself, you know, that I have to pinch myself because this doesn't happen. How does it happen? Number one, that you're able to to spend the night or spend the evening on, on, on the casino that's opening mm-hmm. with the, the casino owner. I mean, that just doesn't happen. And, and just, it was just an incredible experience, but I've had several like that and I'm very grateful for them. How do you uh, view competition with a guy like Tillman? Uh, is your competition? Not really. I mean, yeah. he, he serves, I mean, at the, at, at the end of the day, um, competition is anyone you're compared against, no matter what it is, yeah. uh, whether it's landscaping, law, uh, uniforms, service. Uh, so competition's everywhere. Um, but again, your, your biggest competitor will always be yourself because you're trying to outdo yourself. You know, sure. don't ever think you've arrived. You've never arrived. You, you never will arrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always another, another mountain over that hill. So, um, I try to, uh, just find out ways, where can we improve? I, I try to question everything we do and ask myself, is there a better way? Can we improve on it? And, and in our business, it's not about creating one meal, uh, delicious and, and perfect, but it's about how do, how do I do that? You know, a thousand plus times a day at yeah. fourteen different locations. You know, seven days a week, three hundred sixty-five days a year. How do you do that? So you all—it's all about in our business, and especially as you grow, it's all about systems, having systems in place to ensure that. And it's tough because uh, you have the human element there yeah. that can always change things. But one of the things, one of the first things we've done, and, and going back to paying attention to other businesses, uh, a good friend of mine, Larry Forehand, who started Casale in the seventies, early seventies. Uh, I've always admired Casole. I, th- I thought they did a great job way back in the day. And, and one of the things they did that I noticed was they used, to, they used spice bags for all their recipes. So, you know, you mix 20 pounds of ground beef with one bag of spices, and, it's, and only I know the formula, for example. And so uh, it's just that's, that's the way to ensure consistency from location to location, store to store, batch to batch. Yeah. And uh, it's something it's so simple, but something so important, so effective. Yeah, you know, I was watching. Uh, uh, was it the uh, drive-ins, divers, divers, drive-ins, and, and dives? Yeah, and I was noticing a lot of the guys that he he uh, he visits, which is great. It's a great show. I love watching. It's some really good food there. But uh, all the guys are just you know free pouring spices sure. in, in their in their recipes, and that's great. It may be just for the show. I don't know, but um, I'm thinking to myself, how, how are you going to keep it consistent? Yeah, you know, it's all about consistency. You know, that, that's one of my favorite shows. I, I will sit down if I have free time. Uh, now, so I left, uh, I left, and I'm back in sports radio now. And, of course, I'm watching all the games and all that good stuff. But if I have free time, I'm watching the Food Network, the Cooking Channel, like the shows like Best Thing I Ever Ate. And it's so fascinating to see trends that 
because they they primary uh, they'll be in like New York a lot for the best thing I ever ate, and they'll have something on, and you'll see that trend like whether it be um, uh, the cronut for example, and you know they'll feature the cronut. And then you'll see it just kind of travel down the coast, and all of a sudden it's in Houston. Now it's going to L.A. Chicago has everyone has it. It's cool to see how those kind of TV shows and social media is impacting what people are eating. You know, six months later in different cities, like just it's so fascinating to me. Yeah, you know, it's funny because people they always judge restaurants by salsa and chips and what have you, and that's fine. Um, you guys have great salsa and chips. Well, you know, <laughs> it, y'all's. That's a, you know so what great. I believe it or not, my favorite pastime is eating out at other Mexican restaurants. I'm sure, and I don't go there to criticize. I go there to find ideas, something mm-hmm. different, a different spin on something, and uh, it's just fun. It's, it's just a it's a great sport, and you know, one of my favorite. I have several favorite shows, but one of them I really enjoy is uh, The Prophet with Marcus Lemonis, uh, of course, the B- billion dollar buyer yeah. with Tillman Fertitta. And Shark Tank. I mean, all, those are all great business shows for people that are trying to learn more about what, how business people think. And, um, you know, valuations, just to, to understand valuations, uh, Shark Tank is one of the best. Yeah, and that, that Shark Tank, we watch it every Friday night. My wife and I have been doing that since 2012, since we got married. Uh, that's just because uh, I always found Mark Cuban to be very fascinating. And he was on a show, so I said, all right, let me watch. I had no idea who any of the other sharks were. And, you know, every time they'll, they'll point out Damon, I go, oh, he's the guy behind FUBU. Or they'll point out Lori. I'm like, wait, that's QVC. So these are products and things that you know every day. But you're right. That, that show has been so important in motivating and encouraging people to go out and try something new. Even if it doesn't work, you learn a lesson from it. That show has been so important. Yeah, and that's why it's still running. Yeah. You know, um, I, I was fortunate enough to, to visit the Shark Tank uh, set. Oh, really? Uh, June of 14, and uh, got a picture with Mark Cuban standing behind me. I was in his seat, mm-hmm. and uh, that, was a, that was a nice experience. I had lunch with him there. Uh, what advice would you give to college students that are listening right now? Well, um, to not fear fear. Uh, everything you want in life is on the other side of fear, and you just have to do it. And the beauty of uh, being young is you can bounce back from mistakes and but but again, you you should learn something from every single one of those. It just makes you that much more uh, knowledgeable and stronger going into your next venture. Yeah. But people like people who keep getting up, not the ones that quit because they they got scared and failed. So just just keep doing it. I mean, don't don't worry about what other people think. And that's that's the other problem. People are so concerned about what someone might think about them if they actually have a failure, which really they shouldn't. They shouldn't yeah. care one bit um, at all. Yeah, there's always a solution. After a failure, there's always a solution. You know, uh, critics are usually people who have never done it. I sure. mean, you know, and they just love to criticize, but uh, they themselves are too scared to do it. But they love to criticize. What about people that are currently in the workforce? In the workforce as far as? Advice for them. You know, uh, if you want to shine, um, uh, do more than paid for. You know, that's, that's another chapter actually in the book of the Law of Success and 16 Lessons, doing more than paid for. And, you know, if you do more than pay for, eventually you'll be paid for more than you do. And I'm a prime example of that. Um, but, yeah, um, you know, my, my highest uh, paid uh, team member is, is uh, six figures times. I'm not going to tell you the number, but yeah. it's, it's up there. It's up there. And, um, you know, it's because he works hard. And, and all, all, the, all my senior VPs, they work hard and they're compensated very well. Yeah. There's, you know, with the other one is patience. You gotta have patience. You gotta have patience. You gotta have patience. I know, especially today, because we see success stories overnight. You'll see something like Snapchat, for example, right? You'll say, 
man, look at Snapchat. Now they're valued at $37 billion. It's like they just came out of nowhere. Or you'll see overnight sensations on reality TV shows. It's so, it's so hard to not get caught up in that and say, man, I'm in the workforce now and I'm going to have that next big thing. You More than likely, the odds are you won't. You're not going to be successful overnight no matter what you do. you got to have that patience and that drive to continue. Well, overnight success can happen, but it usually takes about 15 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just be patient. Uh, you know, you don't want – you really don't want it to happen literally in a year or two because you're not on a strong foundation. Oh, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad it's taken me – you know, there's a song by Snow Patrol, uh, The Warmer Climate, and it says, I'm glad it's taken me so long because it's the journey that made me so strong. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, all you, all you do, all you're doing, the longer it takes, is getting stronger as an individual and as a business person. But yeah, I, I don't like this uh, get rich quick uh, approach to business. Yeah. Uh, we got some people asking questions. Samir has a question for you, and this is a question that I was going to ask you anyways. Uh, he's just talking about your strategy. You know, just you know, making sure everything's right. You know, just the little things in life. Uh, where did you learn that from? And maybe can you share some people that have uh, motivated you, some mentors, who you follow in terms of finding that motivation or business strategy? Do you have any advice on that or answers for that? Well, you know, whatever business you want to go into, find the best that's already doing it that you can find out there. Find them and study everything about them. Uh, see what they're doing. Uh Think about what you can do better than what they're doing currently. You know, find find a niche, carve out a a, a, a solution to to you know, just doing it better. Yeah. But yeah, um, you know, the beauty of the internet, I mean, you can literally Google just about anything you want to find out just about anything you need to find out. Yeah. And it's all out there. I mean, that's good and bad. It's good because it's out there, but you know, you, and you can access it. But it's bad because so can everybody else. But again, uh, just just um, just find out. Uh, uh, what you want to do and, and, and find the best and, and you know, it should, it should work. Who do you uh, follow or read to, uh, are you constantly just trying to find like new authors or new business strategies? What's your, like, how do you do that? Like, I love reading uh, uh, biographies. Um, you know, Dave Thomas from, from Wendy's. I read his book yeah. several years ago, read Mattress Max book. Uh, Elvis is on the lot several years ago. Uh, I, I love reading. I like trying to get into the mind of people that are, are successful to study, to see how they think. Sure. And I think you can learn a lot from that. And you'd be surprised how simple it is. But, you know, in business, especially, and I'll use restaurants since that's the business I'm in. But, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things you want to do in restaurants is keep your overhead absolutely as low as possible. Because at the end of the day, you can still only charge so much for your food. And a lot of times what dictates the price of your menu is your overhead. Yeah. And then you, you price yourself out of the market. And that's why you don't have the volume that, that some of these other restaurants have. because And then, you know, uh, your labor only becomes that much more productive the busier you are. So you want to have a, a restaurant where you're not only busy and your labor's productive because your cost of goods are going to remain pretty much constant. It's the overhead and the productivity of your labor that's going to set you apart. How important is it to stay on top of your numbers? Like every day? Are you, are, are you, how, how, uh, well, let's do this first. What's your daily routine like? Well, as far as numbers, uh, Numbers are very important, obviously. you got to know where you're at and or know where you're yep. going. And so, you know, the, the numbers that we look at in the restaurant industry are what we call our prime cost report. And it's basically our food and labor combined. And we try to maintain a prime cost of, uh, of, of at least uh, no more than 55 to 57, 58% and, and try to keep it there. And uh, that means we're able to offer our, 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 our product at a, a fair price, a good sure. value. 
and we try to maintain a, a cost of goods um, at, a, at about, um, you know, 33, 32%. If it's lower than that, that means, number one, we're probably not given a great value or we're not given enough food. If it's more than that, then uh, we're probably over-serving um, or, our, or our raw ingredient costs has, has got out of line. So we try to monitor that as closely as we can because we know if we can take care of the food cost and, and manage our controllable labor, which is our hourly labor, we can, uh, we can get to where we need to be. But uh, it's 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 a tricky it's a tricky game yeah. it's a game it's a and it's a game that do you do you freak out about numbers instantaneously or do you let the bigger picture develop? Well, I always try. I always look at the bigger picture first. Um, numbers are important, uh, but you know you can have a bad week one week, but don't don't uh, <laughs> don't be too concerned. It's not the end of the world, but yeah. you know it, you just you just want to know your numbers so you can get back on track if you get out. You know, so that's that's really all it's for. Um, but we've, uh, we've done a good job. I mean, uh, you know, I have, a, I have a, we have a full-time, uh, corporate office of about, um, 25 individuals from marketing to accounting to legal now. And, uh, we even have a warehouse distribution yeah. where we, we sell, um, proprietary items to our stores to, uh, and our franchisees, of course. We got Russ and, uh, Russ, let me ask you, uh, let's get back to that other part of the question is your daily routine. I'm always curious with, Somebody like you, where you've got so many different things going on, you've got a family, you've got the business side of it. Um, what is your daily routine like? Well, I get up and take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> no, what, one of the first things I'd like to do is because I live, <clears throat> I live in the center of Houston, is um, I like to visit one of the stores on the outline because most all our stores are in the suburbs. So I try to either go to Stafford or or Pearland, or Texas City, or Leak City, or LaPorte. Well, LaPorte's where our corporate office is mm-hmm. at. But I try to visit one of the stores and walk to the kitchens uh, early in the morning, uh, 7.30 or so. Wow. And I, I, I do that because it tells me how they closed, basically, how, okay. how they finished up the night. And uh, that's when I can catch things that may need more attention. And, uh, you know, so, you know, in, in our business, uh, we have to be as organized as possible. And one of the things uh, we try to do is ensure that every single item we have in the kitchen has a home and everything is labeled and, and has a placement for it. And, and I like our coolers to look like a, uh, something you would see in a, in a, uh, in a magazine sure. in our, in our storeroom to look the same, like you would see in a grocery store. So everything has to, has to be very organized and detailed and clean. We, we spend a, a lot of money on maintenance in our facilities because of the wear and tear that, that goes on daily. Uh, we, we regrout our kitchens, um, our kitchen tile floor, uh, quite often because yeah. the uh, the soaps eat away the, uh, the grout, so we're always regrouting. And and the, and the one one thing you always notice the first thing to go in most restaurants when it's tight is that they stop maintenance. They don't they don't do their their they don't walk, clean their hoods on a regular schedule. They don't um, they don't clean out their grease trap or they mm-hmm. don't they don't do a lot of things. And it catches up with them. It, it will catch up with you. I mean, most restaurant fires you see is a result of uh, grease in the hood that's been built up and hasn't been cleaned and. And it, it doesn't take long to take it down. So we, we spend a lot of money on maintenance, and it's very, very important. It's so interesting to hear the, just the maintenance side of it. Like a lot of people don't think about that when they go into a restaurant. Is they just think it's, all right, I get in. They, you know, my, my, uh, my waiter or waitress has been here for X amount. The food's going to be here in 15 minutes, hopefully, and then I'm done. Right. And just the logistics it. behind. Right. Uh, you know, like that would, to me, when I first started working at Landry's, the logistics side, I, I, 
one of my favorite things is just like thinking about the logistics and learning more about logistics of everything. Like I, I get on these logistic kicks and I'll be like, well, how is this done? How is this made? What, how was this created? And like just the logistics of getting the material there. The logistics of a restaurant is one of the most fascinating things to me because there's so much that goes into it, the, whether it be the food delivery who are you using? Uh, you know, how are the vegetables getting there? What time are they getting there? Is there enough for this day? Predicting how much you need to order for the following week. You know, it's just, it, it's a crazy logistical business. If you're a diner in the city of Houston, you're you're very spoiled because of the the choices you have to to, to choose from all yeah. the restaurants options. Um, some, um, I mean, like I said, one of my favorite pastimes is eating out at other Mexican restaurants and. One of my favorite uh, uh, brands, and, and actually a friend of mine, uh, Ugo or, um, Ortega, with Ugo's, he opened up yeah. a new store downtown at the Marriott called Zochi. And, you know, when I look at how much work went into creating that brand and the menu and, and all the ingredients that he had to source and the interior design and just the overall expense that he had to go through to create this restaurant, we should go in there and, and literally, I mean, I hate to say it, but bow down to them because they made this huge investment, this gamble mm-hmm. to succeed. And then we'll go in, a, a consumer will go in there, a diner, and, and criticize it for, for whatever reason. And, you know, criticism okay, but, you know, do it in a way that, uh, that helps them, not, not in a mean way to where you now, you know, want to uh, post all over social media. Yeah. You know, it is, it is a complicated business, and, and most people, uh, I mean, as you can see, I mean, restaurants are closing all the time. It's just tough. It's, it's tough to figure out what it is that pushes people's button to get them back, coming back regularly, because that's, that's the name of the game. And, and all I can tell you is, you know, you price your product right, make sure it's, it's mm-hmm. a, a high-quality product and, and, uh, and at a fair price. All right, so you go and look at the stores first thing in the morning. Uh, what do you do next? Well, then I head to the office. Yeah? Yeah. Drive down to Laporte, and then you start with all the. I'm sure you got tons of emails and tons of. I do, I do try to answer all my emails uh, as as quickly as possible, so I can get those out of the way. Yeah. And, and um, I, I have my routine down. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll try to do my workout sometimes at 11 a.m. Okay. We have a corporate gym, and I'll hit the gym. But uh, and then in the afternoon, I'll, I'll try to hit a store on the way out, heading back toward home, so to see how things are looking. But you know, I try to. Um, I try to make my day as is, – is, I try to change it up every day so it's not – Okay, so, so you go with the change-up routine. Like, yeah. like, don't get into a routine where you know – like, it's, it's so it, – I'm just intrigued by that, just seeing how people manage their days and how they do it. Like, for me, I like to be on a – I know Monday through Friday at this time I'm awake. I know at this time I'm going to have my coffee. I know at this time I'm dropping my daughter off. I hopefully am here by, you know, the right time, and then I'm going to work out from 5 to 6. Like, that is it. It, but for yours, it's like you like changing it up just a little bit, or are you like a drastically little bit. changing it? a little bit. Uh, but I try to really what I'm focused mainly on is is uh, new projects, okay, or remodeling. We, we we're always doing a lot of remodeling. Um, I have some um, uh, big plans for the Pearland original location that we opened in '93, which believe it or not, is still our number one volume location, wow. which is That's hard cool. to believe. But um, yeah, I, I just try to create it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of. Um, uh, Issues related to staff where, you know, there's a lot of need, mm-hmm. and I'm, all, I'm dealing with that. Uh, there's recently a young lady that's been with us eight years, and she needed some serious dental work done. So we, uh, we ended up uh, paying for that. So, you know, we had to coordinate a lot of things. And then we, uh, one of the things that our full-time general counsel is helping, a lot, helping out a lot with is um, 
immigration issues. Uh, yeah, a lot of our a lot of our staff, uh, you know, are in different stages of getting their papers done. So uh, he's able to assist them to help expedite some of it. But yeah, we um, we try to uh, do what we can. And, I mean, they say that the, in the restaurant industry, we deal with the two most volatile things in the world: people and food. And they both need constant attention. So that's yeah. really what we're doing. I mean, we're always just looking at our food, food handling, uh, and and the people to make sure that everybody is um, is taken care of. How crazy has it been in the the last couple of months with immigration issues, with the potential changes in healthcare plans, all that for you as a business owner? You know, um, again, what I mentioned earlier is the beauty of this business or business in general is everybody has the same challenges to deal with. So, sure. you know, we try to, to, to tackle them head on and do the best that we can. Um, we just held a, a class recently for some uh, team members um, that had issues with uh, or concern with their, their status, their immigration status. So uh, we, we uh, held a class. We had an attorney come in to help them. And, you know, we'll do things like that to to, to – you know, to assist them. And yeah. so it's, it's not, it hasn't been too hectic, but, and then as far as, uh, health insurance, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, it's just one of those things that you have to deal with and, and we're looking at the numbers and unfortunately, excuse me. Do you want more water? I can get you more water. Yeah, I do, do. I'm, I'm, let me go. Let me tell one of the guys to get you more water. Give me a second here. Okay. All right, we can keep talking if you want. Well, you know, um, <clears throat> any cost that, that a business incurs has to be passed along to the consumer. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing free. I mean, there's nothing that a business is going to pay ultimately themselves. I mean, they have to have a bottom line at the end of the day. So uh, we just try to uh, manage the numbers. <clears throat> Unfortunately, because we keep our overhead low as, you know, our occupancy costs, most restaurants try to operate between 6 and 10%. You know, anything above 6 is too high. We try to keep ours around 2%. Yeah. Uh, you, I'll, we'll wait for the water. You want to wait for the water? No, I'm go- good. You're I'm good? good? Okay. Um, you know, with, with all the, the changes and, and everything going on, it, it is it is a weird time because people are fearful and like, this might happen, but it really isn't happening yet. Or that's going to happen. It's really not that bad of a, of a thing. When you're just talking to people in general, do, do politics come up with your workers a lot? Or is it just one of those things that... It doesn't come up. Well, no, really, it doesn't come up. Okay, um, you know, it just it just doesn't. Yeah, you know. Uh, and I wanted to talk about this. This has nothing to do w- with uh, what we're talking about, but I wanted to make this point real quickly, and you can you can follow up on this. So we were at the rodeo this past weekend, and you know, me being a Muslim immigrant, people are like, "Oh man, it must be so hard for you." I'm like, "No, it's not. It's uh, like my buddies have been on uh, on the show with me. It's like 99 percent of the people we run into, 99.5 percent of the people." Everyone's cool. Everyone is awesome. People are the nice. Everyone's just trying. Everyone is on this planet just trying to get by and survive and become the best that they can be. Right. That that's what I feel like. That's my per- my perspective on people. So we're at the rodeo, which you would assume is a very um, it's a very conservative crowd or pro Trump crowd or whatever you want to call it. And we're walking around, and again, ninety nine point five percent of the people. Everyone's smiling at each other. Everyone's smiling at us. There's no, like, like there's this there's this narrative that, oh, it's so dangerous out there. And it's, it might be for certain people. And I don't want to take away from their cause or their strife or anything like that. But 
man, we're in, we're in such a cool time where, yeah, we get all the information and we, we can make our decision. But for the most part, I think everyone's getting information that, yeah, everyone's cool. Like, there's not this fear anymore. that, it, And I, I want to change that for people. It's well, Houston, that, Houston's probably an exception to the rule because yeah. of how diverse the city is overall. I, mean, I think there's, what, 158 languages spoken in Houston. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're, Houston's just a little bit different than some parts of the country. But, you know, hopefully people um, you know, just treat people the way they should be treated. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Like, if you everyone just start doing that. And, like, I just wanted to mention that on the show. Um, what's your all-time favorite food to eat? Uh, Mexican food. What specifically? Man, I love tacos. I mean, yeah. I just love tacos. Um, you know, tacos al pastor. Um, man, I, my favorite, actually specific, uh, my favorite fruit, my favorite dish is guacamole. Yeah. I mean, it runs through my veins. I just love the avocado. I mean, how do you do your uh, How do you do your guacamole? Well, with your basics. Like your, yeah. Like I mean, you uh, onions, uh, cilantro, jalapeno, uh, salt, pepper, um, tomatoes. Are you eating an avocado a day? Uh, I could. Um, I mean, it's something that's always in our our basket there at the yeah. house. You know, my I eat it with everything. Uh, I've talked about. I put it on spaghetti. I'll put it on anything. I like it one like one a day. Yeah, I love the. It's the, good for you. Yeah, it's it's very good for you. All right. So what what one specific dish? And you can include your restaurants on here. Also, I don't care. What one specific dish? If you could go anywhere in Houston, if you had to eat one specific dish, what are you getting? Wow. That's that's a that's a very broad question. Yeah. Um, well, okay, let's go. Wait, we'll, we'll go top three, even if you want. I mean, I, I just like you know I like good food in general. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I go. Believe it or not, uh, one of my favorite Mexican restaurants to go to is Armando's at Kirby and uh, Westheimer. Okay. Uh, for one, I enjoy his margaritas, but I can also relax there. I enjoy eating at my restaurant, but mm-hmm. I can never go there and relax. There's a difference. Uh, because I'm always looking around to see what's going sure. on, so it's just hard to sit there and enjoy my meal. But I enjoy, um, of course, I enjoy um, the steakhouses, all the nice steakhouses, the yeah. Pappas, uh, Pappas Brothers, uh, Vic and Anthony's, um, Italian food, um, DeMarco, Grotto, um, La Griglia. I mean, there, there's a lot of great restaurants in town. We're very, very fortunate. Grotto's Lemon Shrimp Pasta. Oh, my God. That's yeah. one of my, like... I dream about that pasta. It's so good. I mean, I love the Pappas uh, gumbo. I mean, it's my yeah. favorite gumbo, but, you know, it's it's a lighter roux than most mm-hmm. gumbos, but I enjoy that. I don't like the real dark roux, but that's just a preference, and that's the beauty of eating out. You know, eating out is fun because everybody does has a different spin on it. Sure. You know, if everybody cooked the same, why would you, you want to go out and eat? So it's it's fun to uh, go out and see all the different spins on food, you know, and all Cajun food. I mean, I just love Cajun food yeah. in general. Uh, I'm not saying this because you're in here, I promise. But beef fajitas from Gringos, oh man, that's one of my favorites. Like I just love it. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Then I'm not just saying that, and and I don't go as much because I know when I go to Gringos, I'm gonna overeat, and I just know. And that's not because your portions are huge or anything like that. It's just me. I'm like, all right, I'm allocating five beef fajitas, like with the the rolled up with the queso and the rice in there. Like I, that's what I, what I'm doing. So I try not to go as much. Uh, but man, the beef fajitas is on my list, um, and, and that's a testament to your product. It's I'm, been for a long time. You know, believe it or not, I think the biggest mistake Mexican restaurants ever did from the very beginning of time was uh, put out chips and salsa. Yeah, because by the time you get your meal, you're full and you, you don't enjoy it the same way. You're I like right. I like to sit down and just get my go straight to my meal and just have a few chips with it. But I'll get stuffed on chips and salsa, oh, and yeah. then by the time my meal comes there, oh, 
Especially with y'all salsa, man, that's so good. You can't eat enough of it. You start blending both of them together, and it's just like. Now, now do you enjoy warm salsa or cold salsa? Uh, I like both. Yeah. I like both on my table, so I can yeah. I can mix and I can mix and match, blend them a little bit. Uh, but the um, well, I forgot the exact name of the the creamy ranch one that you guys have the um, the the white the yellow, the white and green Amazon yeah. Amazon. Yeah, that's a very popular. How about yeah. the green salsa at the table? The green I love that yeah, one. Yeah, people can drink that. Oh, that's the that's the one. The green the green salsa is the the one. Um yeah, we I like both. I like both. I like mixing it up. You know, it's what's interesting and goes back to uh, what other restaurants have to offer in the city. The uh, the Amazon sauce came yeah. from uh, the idea and the base behind it came from um uh Churrascos, Really? The Cordua okay. group. Yeah. And then and then the the green tomatillo sauce, uh, the sauce of the green sauce came from uh, you know, Nympha started that back yeah. in the 70s. That was her thing, and and uh, so there, it's it's nice to see how everybody just kind of uh, does their own spin on food uh, because of what they saw and learned from another location. I want to talk about a quote that you had. Um, I was reading up, and you said, "In my opinion, business is about much more than just making money. It's about using that business as a vehicle in order to make a positive impact on those it comes in contact with." Right. It's a beautiful quote. Well, you know, a business person. <clears throat> Obviously, uh, will succeed because of everyone that supports it, and everyone that supports it are the stakeholders, which is your 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 staff that that run the restaurant mm-hmm. and your 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 guests who support the the restaurant. So, it's very important that uh, that you give back, and 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 it's and I like to call it meaning and purpose beyond profit, because uh, at the end of the day, a person can only eat so much, and and if 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 a business person makes the business all about themselves. Then people will see through that, and yeah. and it won't be. It's just a matter of time before he loses their support. I knew a guy. I won't mention his name, but um, he had a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant, and and a busser came up to him and asked him for a, a quarter raise, and he sa- he told him, "Look, I don't have the money." So you know, of course, the busser went back to working, and and the owner went outside, hopped in his Ferrari, and took off. Mm. And you know, that just sends the wrong message. You know, it just really does. Uh, I don't think I don't think people mind an owner living well, but uh, not to a point where uh, he's leaving behind his uh, his team members to not to suffer, but you know when they have needs to meet those needs. And you know, several years ago, for example, um, it was it was the, the it was December of I want to say oh nine or ten, and I, I was somewhere having a great time. And I received a text that one of our line cooks, he wasn't even an assistant manager in the kitchen or anything. He was a line cook, and he had to leave in the middle of the shift in Texas City because his, his home had caught fire. And, you know, here I am enjoying myself, and, you know, everything's normal, but his life is upside down now. Yeah. Well, we ended up um, uh, buying him a, a new trailer to live in. Um, his, he had lived in a trailer that burned, and we ended up buying him a new one. It was a 30 something $1,000 investment. But it's the best investment we ever made. He's one of our senior kitchen managers today. Wow. Does a fantastic job. And again, that's how you build loyalty is mm-hmm. is making sure you're there for your 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 employees when they need you. And and you know, no one knows when things come up. I mean, no one's planning to have a, a tragedy in their lives, but when it does come up, they want to know that the business will be there for them. Has that always been your mentality or was there a, a breaking point or a you know, when you are <clears throat> financially stable, you can have that outlook? Well, you know, growing up, I mean, I, again, I've always tried to pay attention to what I what I see, and and I always saw an imbalance growing up uh, between a person who called themselves a business owner versus 
against the employer or versus the employee. And I always saw that as an imbalance. Um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a socialist uh, by, by definition, but um, I really feel that there has to be a, 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 a gap. The gap has to be closed up in terms of uh, those that have and those that don't have. And yeah. how can you do it in a way that, that, is, uh, that still allows businesses to prosper? Because at the end of the day, a business has to be successful in order for everyone else to be successful. Yeah. But you can find that gap. Like you can oh, yeah. find that balance. It's I believe be hard I, work. Yeah. I believe you can. I believe you can. Yeah. But uh, you know, some people have a, an, an insatiable appetite for materialism, and uh, you know, I own one wash a day, and it was given to me for my birthday five years ago. Yeah, it's a Rolex, but I don't go out buying Rolexes. I don't go out buying shoes. I don't go out buying a lot of things. Now, I do splurge on certain things. Okay. Um, and um, but it, again, it's to give enjoyment to other people as well. Uh, and it's really, I mean, I've had some incredible experiences over the years. One of them, for example, um, going back to Tillman Fertitta, uh, I, I like I like watching Tillman. I think he's fascinating. But anyway, um, he uh, back in the early two thousands, he was going to Austin to a, uh, to a dinner at the state capitol that I was also going to be there uh, attending with the uh, lieutenant governor David Dewhurst, and and I I knew he had a jet. And so I asked a friend of mine, hey, let's, because he was going as well. I said, hey, let's ask Tillman if he'll give us a ride back from Austin to Houston. Well, um, we caught a ride with Tillman on, on board his Challenger 600, it's a 12 seater jet, and wheels up to wheels down was 28 minutes, and I was hooked. I mean, it's like, oh my God, what can I do to get here? Yeah. You know, so it inspired me to, to, to try to get there. So that was back in, like I said, 2003. So just last year in sixteen, we um, we we splurged and we did buy a corporate jet, but wow. we, we we put into char- it's a used one. Yeah. Uh, I mean used. Still. We put into 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 service charter service, so we can be a revenue generator sure. or at least offset some of the expenses of it. But um, but you know, I've I've used it uh, already to to take fellow team members on trips that they would never get to experience something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And and another thing we're doing too, we're part of a, a network uh, that that. Uh, takes uh, veterans who may have uh, severe injuries uh, to uh, medical treatments in, in different cities or what have you, and and so we're we're going to be doing that here shortly to to cut their travel time because they sometimes have to bring their their service dog along, so we want to do stuff like that. How cool is that 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 moment when you have a goal in mind and. Sure, it's a physical financial goal. Like not every goal has to be this like spiritual goal or something, but when you got that jet. What was that feeling like to accomplish something that you set your mind on? Well, to, I, to get it. Well, at the end of the day, I still look at it as a, as a responsibility because that's what it is, yeah. and and a tool. And I think if you if you can balance those two and, and and as a tool, use it correctly to to help other people. That's the beauty of it. What was your big your first big splurge in business or in personal, if you don't mind sharing? Um. Wow. It doesn't know, have to be a private jet or a car, but. You know, everyone has that one thing. It doesn't even have to be, you know, a thousand, hundred thousand dollars or anything like that. But you, you know, what was it? Was there anything for you that you recall? You know, believe it or not, I just don't sit around thinking about what I can buy. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I enjoy travel. So if, if, if it's anything, it's travel. I get to travel a lot. Yeah. Um, I have ran with the Bulls uh, four times. Get out of here. And, and uh, I, the first time I went was in uh, 2007. And I was there on 777. And and because of the date, uh, so were so many other people, and I was on a seg- a, a portion of the track that got removed uh, by the uh, by the riot police. So 
Uh, I, I didn't get to run. And then I went three times after that, and I never, I never ran. I, I watched it from the balcony. Probably a good thing that I did that. But you know, but every time I've gone, I've taken a group of uh, eight, and always a different group. And again, although I enjoy travel, I enjoy seeing it through the eyes of, of the, the, my team members who sure. help help me get to enjoy it. So I get to enjoy it over and over through their eyes. And and travel is the big thing that I really enjoy. That's I mean, cool. I've been all over the world, and and I love going to rock concerts. Uh, my favorite band is U two. Okay. And um, they're back on tour. Uh, they'll be in Houston on May 24th. That's right. They're coming back. And so, um, but I just, uh, I enjoy that. That's cool, the, the running of the Bulls. So you never done it. You were about to do it the I first time? I was about time? to do it the first time. So why yes. why did you stop afterwards? Well, it can be dangerous, but not so much because of the Bulls, more because of uh, so many people on the course. Sure. They'll, they'll push people, and you'll trip and fall, and the streets are a little bit wet because it's at 8 a.m. Yeah. in the morning. So, yeah. Uh, Is it, what are the logistics of that? Is it like there's a, there's a holding pen? Everybody yes. go out, and then the bulls come in right behind you. Um, pretty much, yeah. It's a Man. short course. It's uh, it's basically just uh, two turns. Uh, it's a left turn, right turn, and you're, it ends up in a, um, uh, a stadium. Yeah, uh, the the arena, the the boring, and it's just a fascinating. It's called the San Fermin Festival, and it kicks off on actually it kicks off on July the sixth at twelve noon mm-hmm. every year, and it's it's it starts on the seventh day of the seventh month, and it lasts for seven days. And it's an incredible experience. Uh, everybody needs to put that on their bucket list, uh, okay. San Fermin and Pamplona, Spain. And it's basically um, every festival the United States celebrates, but all wrapped up in seven days. I mean, from Easter to Fourth of July to rodeo, uh, you name it, okay. it's all there. And it's, it's really something to see. Spain's on our neck. It's on our list. So yeah. we've uh, my big one was Stonehenge. I wanted to see Stonehenge. And I, I, like when we went to Europe, uh, my wife and I went before we had our kid. And that was like our last big trip before we knew that we wanted to have a kid the, the following year and whatnot. And we went to Stonehenge. And that was one of, like when you go around the world, I, I've learned more on my trips than I have just like on my day to day. No, I agree. It's so fascinating to see how people live in their daily lives, what they value versus what we value, uh, how, you know, businesses, what they do differently how they market, you know, uh, to me, radio is my industry. So I'm constantly listening to radio and I'm constantly trying to figure out like, what are they doing there and whatnot? It, it, it's the best learning tool you can, you can get. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, uh, like I said, I've, I've traveled all over the world. I've been uh, to Rio, to Sao Paulo, to of course, to Tokyo mm-hmm. and, and, and beyond, but uh, I'll actually be in Budapest and Prague in, oh, in, wow. uh, in May. That's yeah. going to be a cool journey. Yeah, I've been to Budapest once before to see Depeche Mode, and I'm going to go see him again there. Um, before I let you go here, uh, we are going to wrap it up here in just a, uh, just a few minutes. Uh, Camp Hope. Camp it's, Hope. It's uh, very important to you. It's uh, yes. something that you've been um, talking about. You've been not only talking about, but you know, putting your money where your mouth is and really investing in that. Uh, how important <clears throat> is that, and why is it so important to you? Well, it's it's uh, it's absolutely very very important. Um, yeah, it helps give meaning and purpose again to your life. Um, you know, veterans are, are uh, the sacrifices they've made. Uh, you just can't you just can't put into words. I mean, and you know, there was a movie that came out in 1993, the actual same year that we opened up Gringos, and it made a huge impact on me. It was Schindler's List, um, and at the end of the movie, and for those that don't know uh, what the movie is about, it was, it was about a very wealthy industrialist um, uh, named Oscar Schindler, and he saved, uh, I forget the exact number, but it was over 1,000 Jews from the concentration camps because he bribed 
uh, all the um, the Nazi officers with all kinds of stuff. And at the end of the movie, um, after the war was coming to an end, and Oscar Schindler was having to leave uh, town, uh, one of the one of the, um, uh, the Jews that he had saved gave him a ring as a gift, a parting gift, and and inside it had uh, something inscribed that said basically, uh, "For whoever saves one life, saves the world entire." And uh, Oscar Schindler at that moment had a moment. He he realized that. Although he saved that many, he could have saved so many more because of he started looking at everything he had on his his watch and he started looking at all his possessions that he was about to take out of town, realizing, yes, he did save that many, but he could have saved so many more. Yeah. So, um, you know, our, our, our soldiers, you know, we, we are losing 22 veterans a day to suicide. And it's just it's just too many. Yeah. And we, we cannot, you know, we give them the greatest tools to go off and fight in war. But when they come back, you know, uh, I've never been to war. I don't know what it's like. And, and obviously they have and, and they do. So the, our government can only do so much. But we, need to, we as, the, as the, the public, we need to do all we can within our power to help them. Because, again, you're not only saving his life, but you're saving generations to come yeah. if you can just make that effort to, uh, to support causes like Camp Hope. And uh, you can help out going to ptsdusa.org. And it's not, you know— Sure, a financial donation is great, but they have a list on there on the website for Camp Hope, uh, Camp Hope stuff that they just need, stuff that you, you, you might have you know, around the house that you could donate. Um, there's an entire list. So I, I'll be sharing this uh, in the podcast link also, guys. But, I mean, the, the list goes on. There's so many things that, that we can do to make it easier for Camp Hope and make it easier for these soldiers returning home and helping deal with PTSD. And, and you're right, one of the, one of the frustrating things – when I start thinking about, and a lot of TV shows, a lot of documentaries that pointed this out now, is not only the soldier, what the soldier's going through, uh, but their family. You know, their right. family, or they're, they're without um, the patriarch or matriarch, either one, for extended periods of time, they're left to deal with everything life throws at you without their help. And I know the government can only do so much, but man, um, we as citizens... You know, we always value our freedom. We value everything around us. We can do more, too. We need to get the word out. Uh, veterans who, who you suspect may be suffering from uh, a form of PTSD, yeah. they need to know that there's counseling available, and it's peer-to-peer counseling, which is very important because th- there's obviously a, a lack of trust sometimes when they approach uh, organizations like this. But when it's, when it's, vet, when it's their, 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 uh, their colleagues, they're, uh, they're helping out, they really, they really you know, Get involved. Do you have a link or any uh, anywhere you want people to donate, or is PTSDUSA.org? Uh, just go to their website. Yeah, okay. I am on the board, and I got involved because of uh, Michael Berry. Yeah. Uh, Michael Berry is the national spokesperson for Camp Hope. Uh, let's talk about that before we let you go. This is um, th- this is one thing. Uh, last question, I promise. Uh, how important is this surrounding yourself with people like a Michael Berry or, or somebody that's constantly like a Chance McLean? He's one of my one of my mentors, and you know somebody that's constantly creative challenging your thinking a little bit well how important is that well i I just i enjoy meeting people period um just like yourself now that we've met and face to face uh hope to meet you again absolutely but um i I love people in general so i think um one of the the biggest challenges in business for uh for some is is to be able to connect and once you can connect with people you're on your way i mean you really are people like people we're we're always going to be a people society and so uh, learn to, to, uh, to engage and, 
and uh, you know master that skill because it is a skill. Yeah, it is. Uh, I was watching that Tony Robbins documentary on Netflix. It was just talking about his uh, date of destiny, date with destiny, and like this big thing. It's a week long program. People are paying five thousand dollars just to figure out life and whatnot, and it's like the most simple lessons where it's just show gratitude engage with people and, and, and to tony you know I, i'm not a big tony robbins fan because i haven't gotten into it yet uh, i'm not saying there's anything wrong or right with it whatever but one of the biggest things i took away and it's something so simple and he constantly hit on this is like meet your neighbor shake hands with your neighbor give your neighbor a hug learn about your neighbor just those little lessons in business and life man your life is gonna be so much easier if you can engage with people get to know people and like honestly no not for gain don't do it with how am i going to get how am I going to use this person to get ahead? Right. Actually learn about the person. You're going to be so successful in everything you do. Well, one, one of my habits uh, when I visit the restaurants is I never want anyone to ever feel invisible to me. Mm-hmm. And so when, I, um, when I'm standing talking to a manager and let's say a, a, uh, a, a busser or a server comes up to ask the, um, the manager a question, I always uh, inter- you know, say hello, shake their hand, and acknowledge them. I, I just don't want people to ever feel invisible when they're around me. Gringos, Jimmy Changas, go check them out. This isn't an infomercial by any means. It's a product. I, I really do like it. That's it. Russell, thank you so much. Russell Ibarra. You can follow him on Twitter also. You can follow you can stalk me yeah. on Twitter, uh, Instagram and um and Facebook. I, I, I like I said, I, I try to keep everything as positive yeah. as possible. I don't really dive into the political arena too much, you know, unless it's blatant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, even then I I try to uh Keep it really civil. I love I love following you on Twitter and guys follow him at Russell Y B A R R A Russell Ibarra and all the information links everything will be in the bio for this podcast. Thank you so much for taking some time out hanging out with us, man. Well, thank you for having me. We'll talk to you down the line, hopefully again. Yes. Uh, thank you to Sneaker Summit being a proud sp- uh, sponsor of the Real Show podcast. Sneakersummit.com. You can follow them across all social media channels at Sneaker Summit. Uh, guys, go check them out. Fifty nine and South Shepherd in the Upper Kirby area. Perfume Time Houston. Go get all your perfume colognes at wholesale prices. Uh, 8,000 Harwin, and you can look them up. Perfume Time Houston. Just Google them or give them a call, 713-782-0030. If you have any dental work that needs to get done, htowndental.com. My brother and his partner, Bobby, will take care of you. Guys, they're great people. My brother knows uh, you know, not everyone can financially afford it sometimes. He will help put you on a plan that is beneficial to you, not him. htowndental.com. Thank you so much, everyone. We'll talk to you later.